Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mojo Five O. You're listening to Standing Ground with Jeremy Leahy on Mojo Five O Radio. Bader Ginsburg says she learned in February that her cancer was back when a biopsy revealed lesions on her liver. She says she began chemotherapy in May and is seeing positive results. The liberal justice has already survived four bouts of cancer. Working uninterrupted, she's proven she's resilient, joking about it last year. And I am very much alive. She was briefly hospitalized earlier this week for treatment of a possible infection, her second hospitalization this year. hate to be morbid, but uh, the old saying, truth to, uh, speaking truth to power, if you will, I'm of the opinion that pretty soon RBG is going to be, yes, DOA, which of course, as many individuals in the Democratic Party, especially Congress, (laughs) shaken in their shoes uh, and the election might be just one of one of their worries right now um, another vacancy on the court possibly more before the election has them shiting their pants anyway okay th- uh, this is Mojo Fiber Radio I'm Jeremy Lay this is Standing Ground uh, welcome to the program uh, my email standingground seventeen seventy six at gmail dot com. That's standingground one seven seven six at gmail dot com. A lot of things on the docket today, but I thought I would lead with this because, uh, believe it or not, other than the presidency itself, the Supreme Court, for me, believe it or not, I, I mean, I think I think elections uh, on the totem pole actually come down. Presidential elections come down a little bit lower than uh, holding on to the Supreme Court, and right now, as RBG has. Um, one foot on the grave and the other on a banana peel. It's obvious that the uh, they're starting to circle the wagons and they're trying to figure out. Well, you know, if she becomes room temperature, what do we? What what's our plan? Who do we have? And I got to tell you, 
We'll take a trip down memory lane a little bit, actually not too long ago, with the Brett Kavanaugh disaster. Well, not disaster as far as uh, the conservative end of things are, because he was eventually seated on the Supreme Court. He, he was put there. Uh, but what they did to him, oh boy, uh, I, the, the Democrats better be very, very careful the way they behave um, if RBG kicks it and we get uh, we get another one. The president gets another one. So we're, we're going to lead with that. Among other things, Joe Biden is getting very, very close to uh, picking a VP or VP candidate to, to join him on the ticket. There has been some indication that Elizabeth Warren there, uh, Pocahontas, is on the short list uh, and that she's sitting quietly in her teepee waiting to get the word. Now, I, I've always been of the opinion that that might be a big risk for him, which, I, which I'm hoping he will take. Uh, and there's others. But he has, he has made the pledge to his, to his peeps, to his minions, that he will pick a woman. So who it will be, we should probably find out in the next couple of weeks. So we'll pick that apart. Uh, but first up, the Supreme Court. Oh, boy. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been extremely unwell, and my personal opinion is, is that she's not going to be around much longer, or my opinion is she's not going to be alive through the election. Um, the unfortunate situation for her, she she has said that she's going to hang in there as long as she can, but she is um she's not doing too well. All right. Okay, this is uh this is Mojo Fiber Radio. I'm Jeremy Lee. This is Standing Ground. Let's get going. Jeremy Leahy is on, a man that's been accused of being pretty much everything. Racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. Welcome to Standing Ground with Jeremy Leahy. I don't know Jeremy, never met him. I think that he is, from where I come from, somewhat of a negative force. Informative, controversial, clever, and yes, maybe sometimes just not normal. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Yes, you said that's true. Direct and to the point. You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. A man with a mission. As annoyed as you might be about his zinging descent, he is so utterly charming, so amusing, so sometimes outrageous. Email Jeremy now at standingground1776 at gmail.com. Barbaric! That's standingground1776 at gmail.com. Christ, I met some dumb bastards in my time, but you outdo them all. Get over there! Jeremy Leahy is on. It's like I picked the wrong week for smoke. A boy simply trapped in a man's body. This is a real, decent, fine boy. <laughs> Strap yourself in for a two-hour cascade of candor. This is Standing Ground with Jeremy Leahy. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. Articulate, thought-provoking, insightful, and fun. You obviously have a wonderful economy with words. I look forward to your next syllable with great eagerness. And now, Jeremy Leahy. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. A show packed with politics, current events, humor, insight, and sometimes... With ridiculous bullshit. This is Standing Ground with Jeremy Leahy. Inside the through all of my dreams become realities and some of my realities become dreams now here's jeremy Leahy. her health is a source of great interest and anxiety for democrats who fear a potential vacancy would shift the balance of the court 
Today, Justice Ginsburg said she would stay on the bench as long as I can do the job full steam, adding, I remain fully able to do that. Okay, this is Mojo Fiber Radio. I'm Jeremy Lee. This is Standing Ground. Welcome to the program. Uh, my email is standingground1776 at gmail.com, standingground1776 at gmail.com. Don't forget, all my shows are backlogged on uh, Spreaker, Spotify, and Apple, Apple iTunes as well. Okay, RBG uh, is not doing too well. Here's the thing. The president, President Trump, has had one, two appointments. One went relatively smoothly with Neil Gorsuch, and the other one with Brett Kavanaugh was a total embarrassment. To the, They don't want to admit it, but to the Democratic Party, it was, you talk about a shit show, that they totally humiliated themselves. Now, I've got some audio coming up here that really you remember Brett Kavanaugh who he he was seated and a woman by the name of Christine Blasey Ford oh, excuse me Dr. Ford uh came forward and made an accusation that when she was uh in her 16 or so that Brett Kavanaugh in a drunken state jumped on top of her at a party or something like that and yeah you know, I'm not saying it didn't happen whatever but there was there were some problems with the consistency of her story and what happened was there was a uh, – when the story got out or, or, or Miss Ford – excuse me, Dr. Ford. Dr. Ford had the letter that got in the hands of uh, one senator, uh, Diane Feinstein Frankenstein. Diane Frankenstein did not inform the other side, the Republicans. It's always – well, it's good spirit, but in some respects it, it's law, and I'll explain to that in a moment – that they when when the hearings were getting ready to commence and they were going through for something like 20 days the other side the the ranking chairman Lindsey Graham and others were unaware that they had this information of a quote attempted rape allegation against the um the Supreme Court nominee this being uh, Brett Kavanaugh and they raked him over the coals and they uh, put him through hell anyway I got cut here that I want to play, and then I want to kind of say, well, how does this relate to uh, what may happen if uh, RBG in soon um, goes into the cooler? Well, it, it, I'm going to play you a cut of Lindsey Graham. Now, Lindsey Graham is a he's well, he is a conservative. I like Lindsey Graham a lot, and when Lindsey Graham gets pissed, it's very, very genuine. So, what you're about to hear is this is a cut of Lindsey Graham. Brett Kavanaugh, the one, the nominee, being questioned. And I kind of got to give you a visual here. He's As he's going off on this tirade to the other side, he's warning them, you better be careful. In the future, now, he says, you better be careful. If, if you win, be careful. But you better be careful from now on because what you just did, you talk about an ambush. And they themselves admitted that they would do anything to stop Donald Trump from getting another pick. So he may get one or maybe even two. There have been some rumblings that um, Clarence Thomas may step down. Then they'll all have, they'll have strokes. But anyway, let me play you this cut. This is, this I call this, must you know the term must-see TV? This is must-hear or must-see congressional hearings. <laughs> or congressional hearing, I should say. All right, listen to this. This is Lindsey Graham uh, Brett Kavanaugh, he's talking to Brett Kavanaugh, and he's pointing the finger at the Democrats. This was 
a very, very telling moment. Did you meet with Senator Dianne Feinstein on August 20th? I did meet with Senator Feinstein. Did you know that her staff had already recommended a lawyer to Dr. Ford? I did not know that. Did you know that her and her staff had this allegations for over 20 days? I did not know that at the time. If you wanted an FBI investigation, you could have come to us. What you want to do is destroy this guy's life, hold this seat open, and hope you win in 2020. You've said that, not me. You've got nothing to apologize for. When you see Sotomayor and Kagan, tell them that Lindsey said hello, because I voted for them. That's right. I would never do to them what you've done to this guy. Disgusting. This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure as hell wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. Are you a gang rapist? No. I cannot imagine what you and your family have gone through. Boy, y'all want power. God, I hope you never get it. I hope the American people can see through this sham. That you knew about it and you held it. You had no intention of protecting Dr. Ford. None. She's as much of a victim as you are. God, I hate to say it because these have been my friends. But let me tell you, when it comes to this, you're looking for a fair process. You came to the wrong town at the wrong time, my friend. Do you consider this a job interview? The advice and consent role is like a job. You consider that you've been through a job interview. I've been through a process of advice and consent under the Constitution. Which Would you has, say you've been through hell? I, I've been through uh, hell and then some. This is not a job interview. Yeah. This is hell. This, this, this is going to destroy the ability of good people to come forward because of this crap. Your high school yearbook. You have interacted with professional women all your life, not one accusation. You're supposed to be Bill Cosby when you're a junior and senior in high school. And all of a sudden you got over it. It's been my understanding that if you drug women and rape them for two years in high school, you probably don't stop. Here's my understanding. If you lived a good life, people would recognize it like the American Bar Association has the gold standard. His integrity is absolutely unquestioned. He is the very circumspect in his personal conduct, harbors no biases or prejudices. He's entirely ethical, is a really decent person. He is warm, friendly, unassuming. He's the nicest person, the ABA. One thing I can tell you, you should be proud of, Ashley, You should be proud of this, that you raised a daughter who had the good character to pray for Dr. Ford. To my Republican colleagues, if you vote no, you're legitimizing the most despicable thing I have seen in my time in politics. You want this seat? I hope you never get it. I hope you're on the Supreme Court. That's exactly where you should be. And I hope that the American people will see through this charade. And I wish you well, and I intend to vote for you, and I hope everybody who's fair-minded will.
I thought he was fantastic. He he laid it right on the line. Now you could say, well, the Republicans might have done the same thing, the same situation. I don't believe so. I really don't. And you say, oh, well, you know, you're just playing the bias game. Let me tell you something right now. When it comes to Supreme Court nominees, the Democrats will do anything, anything to keep a conservative justice off the court, including make things up. Think about it. When you when you went back to that hearing with Brett Kavanaugh, like you just heard uh, Senator Graham say, they went through his high school yearbook. Now, the allegation that was that Miss Ford made is nothing to laugh at. It's not funny if it happened, but people weren't thinking. Well, you know, sixteen years old, you're doped up on hormones and beer. How many people else on that committee had done crazy things? So here's my proposal: if RBG, which is a strong plausibility, uh, decides to get her wings and go to the pearly gates. Why Donald Trump is still president? This is what I would do. Whoever he nominates, you're going to hear this right away. You're going to hear Chuck Schumer come out, put his glasses down and say this. Uh, A Supreme Court nominee during an election year is not a good idea. And we need to wait till after the election. And, you know, I assume the other side would probably do the same thing. Okay. Because Joe Joe Biden, I mean, they've done the same thing that, you know, during an election year or whatnot. But this is what I would do. Because, you see, payback's a bitch. And I think even Lindsey Graham is at the point where, you know what, they have played it so dirty for the last three and a half odd years, whatever, with this president on every single thing. They they have not in any way played fair. During the impeachment hearings, you had, um, what's his name, Adam the Lying Sack of Schiff. Adam the Lying Sack of Schiff did not conduct those hearings fairly. He suppressed evidence. He did not let the other side uh, bring people forward that wanted to testify on the president's behalf. He, they brought up five. Uh, they, they fell off their ivory towers from their liberal colleges and came up and, and told the world why they think Donald Trump should be removed from office. And he allowed one that was opposed to impeachment, Jonathan Turley. That's one. And uh, he also, Adam Schiff, manufactured evidence when he read the his his version of the 25th July 25th phone call, the transcript, he put things in there. Um, what a total sleaze and a dirtbag. And what a shit show, the shift shit show it was. So here's my proposal. If RBG kicks it, Donald Trump finds the most conservative judge he can find, but might want to make sure, may want to make sure that there is not a school report from the second grade. If it's a he, let's just say it is a he. It could be a she. He might might be a woman. Okay, I don't know. But let's just say uh, if it's a if it's a he, uh, just be careful that you, you might want to go through their second grade report card or uh, discipline file to find out that when he was in the first grade, uh, he whipped his love puppet out in a bathroom and showed it to a girl because I can tell you right now, They'll introduce it at committee, you know, and they'll call him an exhibitionist or a flasher or whatever. So here's here's my recommendation because it's not – to have hearings of a Supreme Court nominee is not mandatory. They can just say whatever. So here's my suggestion. As soon as the nominee is announced, you go and you bring him down to the East Room, he or she, 
down to the East Room and you introduce them to the country and to the world. And then Mitch McConnell gets up and says, uh, there will be no hearings. We are going to a vote tomorrow morning. Right. Senate Senate has the uh, Republicans have the Senate and majority only the Senate. But the Constitution doesn't say anything about hearings. It says, shall it be approved by the Senate? And put them up there and say, uh, nope, no hearings. Sorry, we're not gonna we're not gonna take the chance here and put uh, put this this man or this woman through what you are about to do to them, and that is do anything you possibly can, including make things up to keep the seat or keep the seat open till after the election. Screw them. And uh, oh, that my God, that'll be great. That would be wonderful. So you have that. You have that end of it. So what happens is that. A lot of times, and the Democrats make this mistake a lot. I was saying Republicans have never done it, but Dems do it the most. And they pulled the crap. They pulled with Brett Kavanaugh. They weren't thinking, uh-oh, what happens maybe when we get in this situation? So say, for instance, RBG stays alive, barely, and she makes it through the election and Joe Biden gets elected. Okay? I'll tell you right now. <laughs> God help Joe Biden. And God, God help his nominee to the Supreme Court, because I'll tell you something right now. The days of playing fair are over, over. And we're going to pull the same crap. Now, as a legal standard, I want to mention this before the end of the break. As you heard Lindsey Graham say there, through that whole mess, when the Christine Ford story accusation came, oh, excuse me, Professor Ford, Dr. Ford, I keep forgetting that. That makes it more credible. Is that uh, they withheld they withheld the story from the other side? Okay, now it is not a courtroom. It's not criminal law. It's a congressional hearing. But we'll just kind of put them sort of quasi parallel. Okay, if any of those Democrats that knew that that information they had that information knew and they withheld it from the other side. Prior to the hearing, no one knew about it on the Republican side. It was all being held by Dianne Feinstein, Camilla Harris, and the rest of them. In law, there's something called a Brady violation. And what it means is if there's any information that you have, generally speaking, that is exculpatory towards somebody or inculpatory or whatever, you share the information. For instance, Christine Ford was a potential witness, and in court – in what's known as the discovery phase, both sides have to know who's on the witness list or who could potentially be on the witness list so they can properly prepare. It's what's called due process. Every single one of those Democrats, most likely people will be calling for them to be, what, disbarred. You talk about dirty. Now I'm saying, well, it is politics. It is blood sport. But you all often hear the Democrats say, Fairness. We're going to get the whole story, due process, and I have never seen anything as disgusting as I saw when I watched those hearings on TV and what they did to that man, which he and his family most likely will never recover from. Highest rating of the Bar Association, and they went back. They went. They went back to when he was 16 years of age, and I'd like. I'd like to know. I'd like to know what Chuck Schumer was up to when he was 16 or what Camilla Harris was up to when she was 16. 
if it happened. My impression is something probably did. But um, no, I do not think Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist. But there you have it. That's the, that's the link they will go to. And <laughs> so once again, if Joe wins, you know, the old saying, be careful what you wish for. Because if Joe Biden wins, the odds are he's going to get one or two Supreme Court um Supreme Court, well, nominees anyway, nominated to the high court, provided Ruth Bader Ginsburg hangs in there, which I, I don't think she will. Okay, this is Mojo Fiverr Radio. I am Jeremy Leahy. My email is standingground1776 at gmail.com, standingground1776 at gmail.com. As always, my shows are backlogged on Spotify, Speaker, and Apple iTunes. All right, we got to take a big, uh, quick break. When we get back, we will move on to other things. Other things on the docket today. Uh, is it what's the hell is her name? Mary Trump, Marianne whatever, Trump. I don't really care. Uh, the book that she's written, um, the gossip book that has been taken by the media as being uh, Bible. A book book like that was written by Barack Obama. It wouldn't get that kind of attention. All right, don't get me going. Quick break. Right back. I've been through a process of advice and consent under the Constitution. Which Would has- you say you've been through hell? I've been through uh, hell and then some. This is not a job interview. Yeah. This is hell. This, this, This is going to destroy the ability of good people to come forward because of this crap. You know what makes you feel really good about yourself? Doing something good for somebody else. If you'd like to do that today, go to JDRF.org. Join them in the fight against type 1 diabetes. JDRF.org. It's something good you can do for the world. JDRF.org. Fast Track student loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as 25 dollars a month based on what you can afford to pay 800-709-4395-800-709-4395-800-709-4395-800-709-4395 this is a potter's field when people can't pay for their funerals they are buried here it is a lonely desolate place littered with unmarked headstones no one visits no one leaves flowers But it doesn't have to be that way. For as low as $1 a day, you can ensure your family will have the money to pay your funeral expenses. We offer burial insurance plans that pay up to $30,000. Considering the average funeral costs more than $10,000, that's peace of mind for your family. There are no medical exams, your rates won't increase, and your policy cannot be canceled as long as you make your premium payments. Call now to get approved in minutes and ensure your final resting place is more than just a pauper's grave in a potter's field. 800-562-2407. 800-562-2407. 
800-562-2407. That's 800-562-2407. Paid for by Final Expense Direct. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them, and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org, m25m.org. Welcome back to Standing Ground with Jeremy Leahy here on Mojo 5 Radio. Let's go. All right. Welcome back. The choice of a vice presidential candidate says a lot about who's running for president. It also sends a signal about what the administration might look like. Joe Biden is promising to put a woman and possibly a woman of color on the ticket. And if he wins the White House, his VP selection will be one of the most important decisions in U.S. history. That is true. That is absolutely true. And I'll tell you why here in a second. Uh, okay, this is Mojo Five O Radio. I'm Jeremy Lee. This is Standing Ground. My email is standingground1776 at gmail.com, standingground1776 at gmail.com. It's simple. When Joe Biden picks his running mate that's going to be a female, regardless of who it is, say, for instance, it is um, Camilla Harris. If you're a Democrat or independent, whatever, and you go to vote, because you always vote for the ticket, when you go to vote, you're not voting for Joe Biden to be president. You're voting for whoever his vice presidential pick is. Because by the time he takes office, or maybe even before that, or shortly after, Joe Biden is not going to be mentally capable to be able to discharge the duties of the presidency. Because he, he will be so out of it, there will be no choice other than to hand it over to whoever, Camilla Harris, um, or whoever, whoever he picks. So when that reporter said, it'll be the most important thing, that is true, because that person will become President of the United States, in my opinion. Surprisingly, I'm reading The Wires this morning, and I see that there's a strong plausibility, but you never know. It could be a trial balloon. It could be used as a distraction, right? That Mr. Biden is considering picking as his VP. Well, he's considering a lot, but he's put on the short, short list. Guess who? Guess right. She seems to have made it her job. Who, Pocahontas? <laughs> Pocahontas? Well, no, she's... Look, look, she is... She is it's very offensive. offensive. You know me, yeah, oh. shut up. Oh, really? oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Pocahontas? <laughs> is that what you said? Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren? And Pocahontas is not happy. She's not happy. <laughs> She's the worst. <laughs> you know, 
Pocahontas. <laughs> I'm doing such a disservice to Pocahontas. It's so unfair to Pocahontas. But this Elizabeth Warren, I call her Goofy, Elizabeth Warren, she's one of the worst senators in the entire United States Senate. She's gotten practically nothing done, practically nothing passed. If it was up to her, you'd have taxes at 95%. Yep. In, in all seriousness, actually, I forgot... I, I had a uh, a cut. I couldn't I couldn't find it on YouTube. It was out there somewhere, and it was Bill O'Reilly back in 2016 when he was interviewing Trump, and he said, "Do you feel Do you feel bad about calling her Pocahontas?" And he goes, <laughs> "Trump says, uh, actually, I do feel bad." He says, "It was a terrible insult to Pocahontas." <laughs> and I got to tell you. I hope I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. I would love Joe Biden to pick Pocahontas as his running mate because you would be you. I wouldn't say you would be handing the election to Donald Trump. I mean, I wouldn't. I would never say that, but you would be definitely feeding in to his long-standing feud with the senator. From Massachusetts. Well, what's the problem with Elizabeth Warren? Well, Elizabeth Warren is one of these individuals that is, well, she's not a bad person. Okay. I, I would never, never call that. She's not evil or anything like that. But she's what's known as a limousine liberal. And not all liberals are limousine liberals. Remember, I limousine liberal. Elizabeth Warren rails against the 1% in the country, the the super wealthy people. Well, uh, Elizabeth Warren is a multimillionaire, and she has a mansion in Cambridge. She ha- she has so much money, and it w- well, so does Joe Biden. But I'm saying is that she's one of these people who and then she she's been nabbed many times you know she wants to rid the country of guns yet she has armed security i mean look we can do this with everybody but where he would where trump would move in on pocahontas would be so you know you want to tax the super rich and you're you're going out and telling how horrible they and call them you know white privilege or whatever and go look at her house and in um, uh, what do you call it there? Um, her the Pocahontas her teepee in in Cambridge. I mean, it's this huge mansion. And she actually said once she she went on a radio show. She goes, "I do not. It is not a mansion. It's a big house, but it's not a mansion. It's a total mansion." And then she has all this other baggage. Well, the Indian thing, of course, and then the story about her whatever her father i forget who had to elope because one family member was opposed to marrying an american indian and they went off and did it in secret and then they found a picture of her at the um at the wedding and then she went on and she told jim browdy here locally on uh, necn that she 
she it was uh, she had high cheekbones i mean every every time the story kept getting out of control she would just make it make it far worse and then she told a real whopper is when she when the me too movement became very popular and she said oh she's one of the, elizabeth warren is one of these people that is very something gets becomes trendy and then what she does is she said, oh, yeah, that happened to me, too. Oh, I know all about that. And she said that she had been – there was a professor at the uh, University of uh, Dallas Law School when she was there. And she claims that she did it. She did a Me Too video, and she said, I'm telling you, I was in his office, and he lunged for me. And he, I said, if he gets any closer, I'm going to punch him right in the face. And it turned out later that the guy was in a wheelchair. Uh, really was not a threat to her, and that she spoke at his funeral very glowingly and talked about how he liked to tickle her, and they would play house a playhouse, yeah, yeah, playhouse in his office and all this stuff. And, and it was called the even the Boston Globe referred to it uh, as to a never, oh, no, a continuously evolving story. And then we had the story about her saying that she got fired because she was pregnant, totally untrue. So it would it would be it when Joe Biden's got his own baggage, okay, with all his shit over the years, plagiarism, his gaffes, his big his bigoted gaffes, his family getting tied up in the Ukraine. There is crackhead son there, um, Hunter, uh, the 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 crackhead freak, and all this other stuff. The last thing he needs is someone like Elizabeth Warren with the kind of baggage she has. I mean, those are just a few things that Elizabeth Warren is um, hauling behind her. So I I think it might be a trial balloon, but I, I find it very unlikely that he will go with her. But I, it's one of those things, I really hope I'm wrong. My impression is he's going to go with Camilla Harris. You know, I think that is that's one of the things. <laughs> it's one, you know, it's funny. I, I love... I love hearing um, people on the left that are wealthy. I love hearing them go on and on and on about the 1%. It's just, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's so amusing to see, and then, the, and then you see how they live. And then do you remember the, the video that she did with her husband? Of course, she, she was in the primary, she running for president. And I love, it's almost like, when Hillary Clinton was running, wherever she went, her accent would change. You know, she'd be down south and she'd say, hey, y'all, hey, y'all. And, and well, she's from Chicago. And then when she moved to, not Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, when she moved to Arkansas and her husband lost the second uh, gubernatorial race, they said, you know, you need to change your accent. You need to talk with a Southern draw. And then she did that. Then she changed her accent when she ran for Senate of New York. That kind of like trying to placate to people to go, oh, yeah, I'm one of you. And she did the video with her husband and they're in the kitchen. Do you remember that with, with Elizabeth Warren? All right, I, I have it. It was an Instagram video she did. And it's so funny to watch. All right, let's roll it. There we go. Everybody who's joining this video, it's great to hear from you. Hold on a sec, I'm gonna get me um, a beer. Get me a beer. Hey, Whoa. Whoa. my 
my husband Bruce. Oh, he just morning. happened to walk in. Um, you want a beer? No, I'll pass on the beer for now. You sure? Okay, okay. say hello. Yes. So, okay. this is my sweetie. Hello. Um, he's the best. And I'm crazy. Oh, and she's drinking the beer. Oh, yeah. So, who have we got here so far um, that I can see? Uh, Gabmar, good to see you. Hello. Uh, All right, I think we've heard enough, right? Okay. I, I, I love that. Here, Here is this New England woman, and all of a sudden she says on an Instagram video, I'm going to get me a beer. Hold on a sec. I'm going to get me... Get me a beer. I'm gonna get me a beer. I'm. It it was it was one of those things that um, it kind of reminded me a little bit, um, a little bit of uh, John Kerry back in 2004 when he was running for president, and he was down south, obviously trying to kiss up to the NRA members, and he got a rifle, whatever, and. He went into a uh, town hall and he said, "Can I get me a hunting license?" <laughs> and he had on the barn jacket and everything like that. And then, of course, he got back that day and headed down to the uh, down in Nantucket and got on his yacht and said, "Oh, honey, can I have a martini, please?" So, I, I when politicians do that, I mean, it's funny because believe it or not, some people actually buy into it. But I, I mean, I see, I see right through it. Hey, look, guys, if you don't mind, if I just see this on my monitor right now and I want to uh, uh, pipe into it. I don't know when this, it says 48 hours ago. I don't know, I guess it's it's an interview that Joe Biden is doing from his man cave. Let's let's listen to this and just see see how he's see how he's holding up. All right, let's just let's just pipe in and listen to it. Good to see you, sir. And uh, look, Arizona is very much in play in 2020. So we appreciate you taking some time to talk to the people of our state. Oh, you're, it's an important city. You guys are going through hell right now, aren't you? We, we really the, are with the pandemic. It's a shame. I, you're breaking up a little bit. I hope you can hear me clearly. No, but, maybe uh, you are. We've got you <laughs> loud and clear. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, Mr. All Biden, right. sometimes in a presidential election, people vote for the candidate. Sometimes they vote for the party. And mm-hmm. sometimes they vote for change. As you look back on it, what do you think happened in 2016? Your candidates sucked. Well, in 2016, I think what people saw was uh, uh, a very successful effort on the part of the uh, of uh, the Republicans uh, and Donald Trump to uh, make uh, Hillary Clinton the issue, and uh, and it was. And I think there was a fair amount of fact that they, they were able to do a lot because they picked on her for being a woman. I thought it was a little unfair. Oh, here we go. Here we go. But uh, and I think <laughs> that there were, we're going through a transition that. People were trying to figure out where we go next, and uh, but uh, but 2018, when we focused on the thing we cared deeply about um, and focused on what we wanted to do as Democrats, we won back the House and had a good off year. I'm feeling good about this year. If we go under the assumption, sir, that the president's base is still loyal, the group that will be up for grabs will be the undecided voters. What do you say to emerge from the noise? What do you say to those undecideds or disenfranchised Republicans? Well, first of all, his base is about in the 30s. 
Um, there's a, an awful lot of folks who yeah, according, uh, according to Quinnipiac are, are, are disenchanted. Yeah, yeah. A number of independents yeah, who they, voted for him before and were right about Democrats who voted uh, for him uh, are really uh, disenchanted. He said he was going to fight for the forgotten man. As soon as he got elected, he forgot the forgotten man. He really? talked about building infrastructure and creating jobs. This is all before the, the virus. And uh, he didn't do any of that. And uh, he focused mostly on, uh, on the stock market and on the heavy hitters. And uh, his measure of success is whether or not the Dow Jones is up. Yet you had over 50% of the American people believing that their kids would uh-huh. never have a standard of living that they had. Um, uh, this is before COVID. And then the way he so badly mishandled the COVID virus. Not doing bad today. An absolute disaster. And so I think people see, are looking that's for Alzheimer's. what next. We have to you're build in back. And you're out. We have He's to build in back today. better than we good. were before. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the key here. And uh, um, but uh, I don't know if that answers your question about what caused them to vote Probably for in the doesn't. first place. A, a lot of parents, Mr. Biden, are very concerned over the issue of whether or not to send their kids back to school in the fall. I understand that. I'm sure you do. The president and his education secretary are threatening to cut off funding if states don't reopen schools. Where do you stand on that and America's overall pandemic response? The overall pandemic response has been a disaster. The president has taken no, no responsibility, indicated that it was all going to go away, that it was going to go away like right. overnight. Right. We, we talked and, about and you said that, that you would uh, never make it a political we're issue. We're going to have to right. just, okay. just get back to work. Everything's going to be fine. To solve the job crisis, we have to solve the public health crisis to get our economy on track. First, we have to get the okay. virus under control. I think we've had and enough of sleepy no Joe. Responsibility. Right. 135,000 lives lost, 20 million people nearly out, nearly 20 million. Let's see if he gets the numbers right. Only getting worse. The surge that's been especially felt in Arizona is is devastating. But we have right, a president who won't face reality in order to take any leadership, and it continues to cost. Not not too bad, but with uh, mental decline. It, it's we all well not all of us but you know the, the the big symptom is that you have good days or good moments and bad moments you'll he'll do an interview and he's which actually in all fairness to him I have seen him and he's pretty good and then you'll see him go on and he's just like a total train wreck and that's why the the Biden campaign it, it's been rumored or is said to be all interviews or speeches or whatever are to be less than seven minutes because they figured it's around seven minutes that he begins to lose his marbles and he has trouble um, communicating. So it's um it's it's sad to see, but in that there the, with the uh, Arizona television station, he seemed to be doing um, he seemed to be doing okay. I I don't know what his plans are as far as getting out of uh the bunker the joe the 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 joe man cave at one point is he gonna you know you know bite the bullet if you will and go out and get onto the campaign trail in one way or another now as far as the debates are concerned i don't know how they are going to well look it's not far off right i mean it's almost august and then the debates usually when do they go? The updates are usually September, October in that area. Of course, we don't know where we're going to be with this whole COVID thing. Most likely, it will be a debate without a studio audience. And then whether who's who's going to be the moderator, is it going to be one moderator or two? Because the campaigns, what they do is they more or less 
negotiate, they come together and they come to certain terms and they'll break them down to one, two or three things. And it'll be like the first one will be maybe, maybe it'll be like most of it will be on COVID and then it will be the economy. If they agree to three debates, I think, what was it? Clinton and Trump were, yeah, three debates. And then it could be domestic, foreign affairs, wherever and how they how they break it down. So I think that one of them will be COVID. It'll be COVID, uh, domestic policy, and foreign affairs. Now, Joe Biden, in years past, is a very good debater. Uh, in some respects, he's a master at it, or has been. He's a master debater. <clears throat> Sorry, couldn't resist. Um, but as you can see, over the last eight or nine months, he's slipping into senility. So he's not going to be as sharp as we would expect him to be or others around him. His staff expects him to be. And that's what Trump will prey upon. Donald Trump is a very powerful presence and no one scares Donald Trump. I have to tell you, you, you never know what he has up his sleeve. I remember, what was it, the Axis Hollywood tape that got out. And there was a, the day, the day it came out, I've been thinking, I was, believe it or not, I couldn't get to sleep the other night and I was thinking about this. I know, I, I really do eat, drink, and sleep this stuff. What happened was the Axis Hollywood tape got out and it was bad. And Trump had no choice but to apologize. And then at the debate, going into that debate, Donald Trump and his staff knew that that was going to be basically the basis, the center, the fulcrum of the debate was going to be dominated by his potty mouth on the bus. And he, well, he he and Steve Bannon, I guess, so Steve Bannon Moore, came up with this at the time, I went, mm, I don't know if this is a good idea, but the day of the debate, without really ever sending out even a press release, they brought in four of Bill Clinton's uh, accusers of sexual assault, rape, misconduct, all that. And they had this impromptu press conference in a hotel conference room invited the press in and everyone was like, well, what are you doing? I mean, is this going to be a competition of who, whatever? And it turned out that it actually worked towards Donald Trump's advantage. The polls seemed to indicate or the focus groups indicated that when Donald Trump got up on the stage and said in the audience tonight, and I invite him here, are four women that said that your husband had sexually abused them and you threaten them. And there was a very famous pollster who was doing a focus group that night and they determined that what they figured out what do you, what do you consider to be more more important to you or sorry, more disturbing to you and people found it more disturbing that Hillary Clinton had threatened to silence women who had accused her husband of sexual assault than Donald Trump talking potty on a bus. 
So in retrospect, and you know the campaign had been in touch with uh, with uh, NBC regarding the whereabouts of this tape and, and the timing of the release of it, and time, place, manner, whatever, oh, we'll do it right before the debate without realizing, well, wait a minute, what are they going to come back with? See, that's that's the thing that both sides, both sides of any campaign always have to understand. When you're going to spring an October surprise, right, you have to understand, well, wait a minute, what could they come back with on us? So in retrospect, they'll never admit it, but that Access Hollywood tape was probably not such a good idea because when Donald Trump brought in those advisors, advisors, brought in Bill Clinton's alleged victims who said, claimed that Bill Clinton sexually assaulted them and that the candidate for president of the United States threatened them, it it took the, the Access Hollywood tape story and it just bumped it off the front page. And not only that, but the night of the debate, those four women were in the audience sitting right behind Bill Clinton and his daughter. And it, you talk about being humiliated. And at the time, I repeat myself, at the time I said, I don't think this is such a good idea. But looking back on it, it was beautiful. It was a really good move. And who knows, maybe Donald Trump will invite Tara Reid to the debate, if they have an audience. Might invite Tara Reid, who claims that Joe Biden forcibly digitally penetrated her in a room uh, on Capitol Hill back in the uh, mid to late 90s, whenever it was. Ta- oh, why? Tara Reid, who's she? Well, she's been bumped off the off the news. No one want, no, no, none of the liberal media want to talk to her anymore. They're with Joe. That's why the Me Too movement's become a joke. Um, but anyway, don't get me going on that one. So here it is, July, almost late July, almost August. We have no idea where we're going to be become October, November. Joe Biden could be completely senile, gone off the edge, doesn't know where he is, and they may have to start all over again. I see the polls. Oh, it shows that uh, President Trump is at a 32% approval rating nationwide. Well, he was at 36 when he won the election. And then you have to look, well, who's doing the poll? This is stuff we've all been through before. This is basic civics that the press never talks about. Well, it's not a national election. It's 50 separate state elections all culminating on the same day. How's he doing in Florida? How's he doing in Texas? There's some talk that Texas is in play. I tend to doubt that, but you never know. Um, How's he doing in Florida? How's he doing in Pennsylvania? How's he doing in Michigan? How is he doing in uh, Wyoming? How's he doing in Wisconsin? How is he doing in all these other states? These national, the the polls got it wrong in 2016. What makes you think they're going to get it right in 2020? So there you have it. Okay. Uh, This is Mojo Fiber Radio. I am Jeremy Lay. Don't forget all my shows are backlogged. On Spreaker, Spotify, and Apple iTunes, just go and uh, Google my name, Jeremy Leahy, L-E-A-H-Y, and they'll pop up. They're all dated and everything, so if you missed the show or you've come midstream and you want to catch up on some old shows, whatever, just feel free to go uh, there and listen at your leisure. My email, standingground1776 at gmail.com, standingground1776 at gmail.com. Let's take a quick break, and then uh, we got the town hall news up next, and when we come back, the bombshell book, the one you've often heard, um, boy, this is it. This is the biggie. This is the one that's really going to do Donald Trump in. Uh, the gossip book that his niece, Mary, has written, whatever the frigger name is, 
his niece <laughs> has written, and uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, but um, of course the media is taking it as being Bible. All right. With that, uh, Town Hall News is up next. I'm Jeremy Lee. This is Mojo Fiber Radio. Be right back. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. You mean president? What's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it. And what a neat town. You're in New Hampshire. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. <laughs> kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. Think about it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go, you know the you know the thing. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why if I had a brain I could I could while away the hour, <laughs> conferring with the flower, poor consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Or, or, you know the thing. I'd unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain. With the thoughts you'd be thinking, you could be another Lincoln if you only had a brain. Oh, I could tell you why the ocean's near the shore. I could think of things I never thought before, and then I'd sit. This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five O. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Ron DeRostro. The rising tide of new coronavirus cases is flooding emergency rooms in parts of the country. Health officials say the near-constant care COVID-19 patients require is overtaxing hospital staffs who are also trying to treat more typical ER cases like chest pains, infections, and fractures. In Florida, hospitals say they're in desperate need of remdesivir, a medication that's been shown to shorten the average hospitalization time for coronavirus patients. But Governor Ron DeSantis says it's on the way. We are getting 30,000 more vials of remdesivir sent to the state of Florida, actually sent directly to the hospitals from the uh, Jalid distributor, and uh, those will be arriving uh, within the next 48 to 72 hours. Florida reported more than 10,000 new confirmed cases and 90 additional deaths Saturday. I'm Ben Thomas. In the latest call to rename racially charged brands and logos, nearly a thousand people signed an online petition urging Trader Joe's to stop labeling its international food products like Trader Ming's or Trader Jose or Trader Giotto. They say it's racist because it exotizes other cultures. The grocery store chain said it decided several years ago to use only the Trader Joe's name on its products and is near completing the work of updating the ethnic sounding labels. A lot of people paid heed to John Lewis for much of his life in the civil rights movement. Lewis, who died yesterday at the age of 80, was the youngest and last survivor of the big six in the civil rights movement. Activist Philip Agnew got the chance to meet Lewis. Agnew is the co-founder of Dream Defenders. I absolutely knew who he was, and uh, I was actually on a panel that his office invited me to, so he was the host of it. And I remember him coming and speaking to me and saying how proud he was, looking at the things that we had done in Florida. News and analysis at townhall.com. We would like to remind all of our listeners that the views and opinions of the show hosts and their guests appearing on Mojo Five O Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Cuddle Me Buff LLC, its owners and partners, or this network. Thank you for listening to Mojo Five O Radio. Mojo Five O. 
You know what makes you feel really good about yourself? Doing something good for somebody else. And if you'd like to do that today, go to JDRF.org. Join them in the fight against type 1 diabetes. JDRF.org. It's something good you can do for the world. JDRF.org. Hi, Holly. Come on in. Hey, Pat. Coffee? Absolutely. I mix the American Pride Roasters JFK Coconut with the Philip Maisie Chocolate Biscotti and the Amerigo Vespucci Amaretto to make like an Almond Joy. That sounds good. I actually mix the Philip Maisie Biscotti with the George Washington Carver peanut butter for a Reese's peanut butter cup. Mmm. Yeah, but you know, I do prefer the dark roast, like Izzo's Rage. Mmm, dark roast not so much. The lighter the better for me. Seriously? What's wrong with you? Dark roast is the best. I can't even be near you right now. But Holly... Huh. Well... Now I get all the coffee all to myself. And I really do like the dark roast. Mm. Historically great coffee. Well, if you said the world has gone crazy, I think 99.9% of the Earth's population would in fact agree with you. Here's the thing. You can never be too prepared for the craziness that's happening all around you. Keep your head while others are losing theirs. Go to preparewithmojo50.com. You will find an emergency food supply with a big discount because you are a Mojo 50 listener. It's not about uh, panic. It's about being ready for anything. Preparewithmojo50.com. Every Mojo 50 show is available on demand at mojo50.com. Welcome back to Standing Ground with Jeremy Leahy here on Mojo 50 Radio. just get a copy of the book. It's a pretty slim 14-chapter uh, read, but it is quite the indictment of President Trump from in, a member of his own family. You know, we haven't heard a lot from the direct members of the Trump family. This oh, is a book that is indictment. coming from Mary oh, Trump, who is his niece. It is a book that one of uh, the president's siblings has actually tried to block from publishing, but the publisher got the release to go forward. And, you know, we're looking through some of these things, and, and Ooh, in it so you excited. see uh, Mary Ooh. Trump writing about the hubris of her uncle. She writes about how she didn't actually think that he was taking his presidential election seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, and she even had lunch at one point with Marianne Trump, Marianne Barry Trump, who was a federal judge. And they're discussing Donald Trump running for president. This is back in 2016. And it recounts this conversation in which Marianne Trump says, he's a clown. This is what the book said. He's a clown, my Aunt Marianne said during one of our regular lunches at the time. This will never happen. Now, Mary Trump is someone who has had a very fraught history with other members of her family. There was a big fight after the patriarch of this family died over essentially Donald Trump and his siblings trying to cut Mary Trump and her brother out of the will. So there's been 
bad blood in this family for a long time. Mm -hmm. She also makes it very clear in the book that she was no fan of the possibility of her uncle winning the presidency. She said she got invited to uh, Donald Trump's election night party and she turned down the invitation <gasps> because she thought oh. it would be rude oh if God. she was out there celebrating Hillary Clinton's victory. Now, obviously, that's not how it panned out. Um, and she, she writes in the book that she stayed silent for a long time yeah. when oh. Donald Trump won the presidency and when he's been in office, but she just felt like right. she was sitting by and watching her uncle ruin the country. And Okay, welcome back to the program. This is Mojo Fiber Radio. I'm Jeremy Lay. My email is standingground1776 at gmail.com. Standingground1776 at gmail.com. Okay, another book. Uh, the president's niece just so happens to have a book that's just come out in an election year. Well, I um, a book is a book, right? Look, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to take the book and take it to a FISA court uh, to try and use it to uh, wiretap Donald Trump. But anyway, I was like, go on that one. Um, she got a huge advance. It's a lot of money. She is estranged. Uh, look, I'll be honest with you. From I don't know her. But watch, I'm going to play a cut here. She was with uh, George Snuffleupagus from ABC, who sat down with her. It's interesting that when a book like this comes out about Donald Trump, how many there have been, like six or seven, that throw him under the bus, it's always like the press takes it as being scripture. You know, this is this is it. This is this is the magnum opus. This is the one that is going to destroy his presidency and his life. And every single time they just fade away. So this is a book about gossip saying things that he's an anti-Semite, that he uses racial slurs, even stories about him dumping potatoes on somebody's head when he was a little kid. Look, let's let's um let's be honest here, right? Let's play a little game. I don't know your family. You don't know mine. I've um well, for instance, my family has a very interesting dynamic. I love them dearly, all of them, my brothers and sisters. As much as they can drive me crazy, and I know I drive them crazy. I play my part. I, I was just having a text exchange with a, a friend of mine um, that I've uh, haven't talked to in a long time, and we were uh, we used to work together. And she, we were talking about uh, families and family homes and things like that. And I said, "Oh yeah, you know, I've got a, a family home in Maine." And da 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 da. And we were talking about, "Oh yeah," we were kind of joking um, how. Look, I, I know very few families in my life because I'm not trying to play the, the poor soul Solomon that, you know, that every family's perfect. I, I've never known of friends that I have who have families that just are super duper close. There are some, but very few. Because here's the bottom line, right? Every family is dysfunctional in one way or another. If... I have an older brother, I have a baby sister, and I have an elder sister. I, I, I was funny because I was, because, well, look, brothers can be, but sisters can be very overbearing. It's just, it's psychology. I saw a t-shirt in the um, the mall the other day in one of those uh, Spencer gift stores. I was walking around. It was a very hot day and decided to stroll and cool down a little bit. And there was a t-shirt. And the t-shirt said, you don't scare me. I have two sisters. <laughs> I said, I should be wearing that shirt. Um, but, but in this back and forth, my friend here, 
I was talking about how, you know, we basically divide the home up uh, in Maine over the summer and everybody gets a week because we just can't bear to be under the same roof with each other. I'm not saying it's not that bad. It's just like we all feel that everybody needs to have their peace and quiet because everybody has different personalities. A lot of families are like that. Anyway, I just I don't want to get too personal, but you're not alone with me on that one. A lot of the lot of you that uh, that are listening. Okay. And yeah, look, families have things. Now, if I was decided to drop a bomb and say I was getting ready to uh, run for the United States Senate, you can be rest assured that any one of my brothers and sisters could get a book deal, and I'm telling you, write things about me or allude to things about me and say things about me. I could do the same to them, right? So obviously there is contention within the quote Trump family unit they don't all get along though my my understanding was that Donald Trump was yes very much close to his father and I think his father realized Donald's business sense and his potential it is a successful family in in many regards he lost a brother very young who just had a lot of problems but apparently was a wonderful person um, he had alcohol, drug addictions, whatever, and oh, he was a pilot for TWA. That's comforting. But anyway, I, th- I think he lost his job flying, whatever. But like any family, he's had every family has its issues, but it's different here because you're talking about the presence of the president of the United States. Who was it that um, one of the everyone got all upset with Patrick Kennedy? Actually, uh, I admire him. The son of the late Senator Ted Kennedy and the nephew of President Kennedy wrote a book about three years ago that said, my family is royally screwed up. And it didn't really get much attention as something like this got. And he went on and on. He says, my family is riddled with mental illness. Going back to my Uncle John, president, who was they think now is bipolar and all this. And was it, was it trash? Um, In all fairness to him, it was not. To me, it was more to raise the awareness of mental illness and that obviously his father grew up in a time where, you know, you didn't talk about that sort of thing. Um, Teddy definitely had all sorts of mental issues and problems with alcohol and which almost ruined him a few times and he got out of it. But that's not the point. The point I shouldn't have said that's that's irrelevant. The fact is it was there, it was there, but he never dealt with it where Patrick Kennedy came forward and said, look, I've got these depression and all this I need to deal with it and his family of course railed all over him I think they cut him off they didn't speak to him for like a year and it was a interesting read whereas this is just sort of a it's it's gossip I didn't look at Patrick Kennedy be, being gossip his his book had what's known as an axiom action he it had an objective now obviously he made money he got an advance and all that but it wasn't out to get anybody it was out to say, look, I want to let you know the family I come from and what I've experienced and what I know about my family with an attempt of helping you. This book by Mary Trump is just to throw the president under the bus and make money. That's her only objective. Only objective. Well, anyway, um, here we are. Let's play the cut from um, uh, what she sat down, some of it, with uh, George Snuffleupagus. Okay, so have a listen to this. Talk about the relationship between your father and his younger brother. He was about eight years older? About uh, seven and a half, eight, yeah. My dad, when they were younger, included him when he could, but I don't believe that they, they weren't close. And I think as soon as it became clear 
my father was not going to be able to continue with Trump management. I think Donald's on opening. And I want to make something clear. This is very important to me. It's not that my dad wasn't good at it or had no interest in succeeding my grandfather in his company. My grandfather didn't give him a chance and made it impossible for my dad to to succeed. President Trump didn't wasn't a fan of it either. He says now, and he has said for the last couple of years, that he regrets the pressure he put on your father. He was also following his dad's script. So I can't fault him necessarily for doing what his father asked him to do. Your father once dumped a plate of mashed potatoes on Donald's head? Yeah, that's one of our favorite family stories. Um, they were really young kids, and um, I think Donald was maybe seven. And one of his favorite things to do was torment my Uncle Rob, who was a couple of years younger. You know, my grandmother was cooking dinner, and Donald was just being merciless. And finally, my dad had no other option but to pick up a bowl of potatoes, uh, mashed potatoes and just dump it on his little brother's head. And it ended the uh, it ended the fight, but I think it also started something because Donald was humiliated by it as evidenced by the way he reacts to the story now. There's no sense of humor about it whatsoever. It came up when you were at the White House in mm -hmm. April 2017? Yes, yes. Who brought it up? Um, my Aunt Marianne. Yeah, and we know that he doesn't like the story, so I think it was a bit of a dig. According to the conversations you had with her, um, it didn't, doesn't sound like she believed that Donald Trump would be president or should be president. She very emphatically did not believe it would happen or think it should. What did she say? She thought that uh, because he was a man without principle, um, yeah. nobody would vote for him. Um, she was horrified by the white evangelical embrace of his candidacy and, you know, because she knew that he had no, um, deep convictions. Well, tell that to the American electorate. When your uncle cleaned uh, Hillary Clinton's clock in November 2016. Um, she she obviously has an act. My understanding was that she had been cut out of the will or something like that. And <laughs> I, you don't, generally speaking, you don't go out and write a book about a family member. It's her uncle. And totally trash them unless you have some personal axe to grind. Okay. Obviously, they're no longer friends. My understanding was she was at the inaugural. I'm not sure. Okay. She was there. She has been to the White House. She has seen him, whatever. Also, I want to note this. Just this, allow me to digress for one moment. When I was watching the interview, this would probably kill her if someone said it to her. There is a resemblance. She looks like her Uncle Prez. She has a lot of his kind of facial features and when she smiles she looks a lot like like him it's like if you maybe put her hair up a little bit you know she might have leaned over and looked at George Snuffleupagus there at ABC and said excuse me excuse me hang on a minute I never said that 
give me a break. Give me a break. Okay, sorry. But you know what I mean? She she kind of, in some ways, she looks like the president in drag. I don't know. That's stupid. But anyway, you, you get my point here is that, you know, this is, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And 950,000 copies in one day. Yeah, whip de do. Like, like I said, it'll be on the discount rack. Okay. So anyway, she went on with um, that nut job from CNN, Chris Como. Of course, they're all, they're all, look, I've already put in a request to talk to her. She's not going to talk to me. Give me a break. Well, you know, I don't know. She might, but I mean, I'd love to talk to her. And my objective would not be to attack her or anything like that. I would just come up with my own series of questions, which would be just, you know, why are you doing this? It's money, right? I mean, I'd be direct with her. It's, it's cash. Uh, was a million dollar cash advance for a book. You'd be surprised who would write a book. I might. I don't know. I'd have to be in that situation. It's difficult to say. Okay, moving right along. Okay, here she is with Chris Como. The interview by saying you were in pretty rare air. You had written something about the president that is certainly uh, critical in certain aspects, and he hadn't said anything back. That just changed moments ago. Uh, he lumped you in with John Bolton, referring to what he calls the Book of the Month Club. He called John <laughs> Bolton a lowlife and a dummy. Uh, you do well by comparison. Yeah. Uh, he comes to you second. He says, next up is Mary Trump, a seldom seen niece who knows little about me, says untruthful things about my wonderful parents who couldn't stand her and me and violated her NDA, non-disclosure uh, agreement. She also broke the law by giving out my tax returns. She's a mess. Okay, well, no no big surprise that Donald Trump would say that. You know, kind of like he says about Nancy Pelosi, you know, she's not, she's got problems, she's crazy. Oh, my crazy wacko niece, damn it. Oh, yeah, she's, yeah, she's psycho, she's nuts. I mean, what did she, how did she think you know, he was going to respond to it. And quite frankly, I don't really blame him. I, th there are those who will choose to read it or sift through it or whatever. It's basically trash is what it is. It's tabloid stuff. And um, look, I, I, look, I would bet that a lot of it in there probably is true. But a lot there isn't. But I have to tell you, the Trump family... Talk about an interesting dynamic. Allow me to digress. In the 80s, now I'm going to slip off here a little bit as a sidebar, but it ha it has a it has a uh, point to it. In the sev late 70s and 80s, there was an organization called LifeSpring. Let me tell you about LifeSpring. LifeSpring was an organization. It was basically a self-help program that you would enroll in. And there were two things. There was an individual training. They called it the training. And then there was the family training. So you go as a one person. It could, it could be anybody who's maybe looking to better themselves or better their family, you know? Well, anyway... Wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit. Now that I'm older, I have no problem sharing this with you. Um, there was a relative in my family that convinced my family to go and do this, quote, LifeSpring family training. And what it was, was you go and for one week, you're in this, it's like in a big hotel lobby, whatever, and you pay so much money, 
and they sift through certain things in your life and about your family. And the objective is nothing wrong with it. Well, the objective is to make money, <laughs> but the, the the plan is is that you go in and, and when you come out, you have a different outlook on your family or a different perspective on life as relates to to that of the domestic life in your in your own family unit, whatever it be. And you break things down in categories. You do your little group exercises. It's basically a big one week long group therapy session, which as an adult now, I look back because I was like 12 or 13 when I got hauled into it. And to me, it just did nothing for me. It, it was, it just didn't, I was too young to, I was too naive to understand what it was all about. And what they do is the idea is that when it's all over, you leave and when you go back you have a different outlook on things and you approach things differently and from my perspective I can't speak to the rest of my uh, family members but who the ones who I'm not naming names who took part in it um I, they might have a different opinion my opinion was it was just kind of a sham well it turns out later that lifespring uh ended up going under because it faced lawsuits. There were people that had done it because they had fear of certain things. So like one guy, sorry, it's not funny. You know, one guy had a fear of water. So after doing live spring, he got into a kayak and went off, uh, you know, a waterfall and um, it turned upside down and never came back. And his family sued for wrongful death. They were sued for false imprisonment. I remember during the program, when you went into the room, if at any point in time you felt awkward about a certain part of the session, you were not allowed to leave. They wouldn't let you out. And a few people tried to get out and they wouldn't let them out. And they were sued for, you guessed it, false imprisonment. So in essence, what was it? It was a cult. And they had all, and there were, there were I wouldn't say secret handshakes, but there would be like people who had done it. You'd be walking in a mall and they would look at you and they, they would give a certain sign and be like, Oh, you know, I've done it. I've done Life Spring, whatever. But a lot of a lot of people that my relative knew, or I mean, they were all like, "Oh, you got to do Life Spring. You got to do this. You got to do that." And um, well, anyway, they don't they don't exist anymore. So my my my, my question is this: <laughs> If it was still around today, um, I I'd like to know I'd like to know what it would be like if the Trump family, <laughs> the entire Trump family including ex-wives, all the children, everyone, like after he's president, if it was still around, they all go and do Life Spring. Now, I can tell you right now, Donald would not agree to do it. I have to quickly, yeah, I got enough time. I have to set it up for you. Like you go into you go into the ballroom or whatever it is and every family's sitting in a little round like Indian style, all sitting there and up comes the narrator and he's like, okay, are we ready to begin? Okay, very good. Everyone's settled. Okay, today's word is victim. How are you a victim? And then you get a big piece of paper with magic markers and you draw a stick figure and then you'd write words all around yourself like, uh, I'm labeled this way, I feel this way, I feel this way, that way. And then you show it to your family and then you work it all out. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. You see Donald Trump drawing a stick figure, and you know he's saying, "Oh, it's CNN is after me, MSNBC." It, it would just be funny to see the entire Trump family in a Life Spring program, 
trying to better themselves. So yeah, is is the Trump family screwed up and dysfunctional? Yeah, every family is in one way or another. Just the way it is. Unfortunately, I can't write a book and make a million because no one's going to buy it. Because none of my any no one in my family is of uh, any notoriety. I can assure you. Well, except for me, a little bit. <laughs> no, sorry. So there you have it. So putting everything, pulling everything together, putting everything together. It's a. Um, it belongs at the supermarket. This book by Mary Trump. It's just uh, it's it, it's tabloid trash. It's as simple as that, and I don't really think much is going to come of it. The only thing that may come of something is something derivative of it that may be some type of a October surprise of Donald Trump on tape making a racial slur or I mean I, mean, I don't know what that could be. But um, I mean, you telling me you couldn't that somebody in that's known Joe Biden all these years couldn't write some nasty book about him or nasty book about anybody in government. Just the way it is. We're not perfect people. But uh, anyway, there you have it. All right. I got to take a quick break. Uh, when we get back, uh, my plan is for the for the final break of the program. Here's my plan. OK, I haven't got a clue, <laughs> which is. Which is the show from time to night, time to time. I tend to kind of uh, wing it, if you will, and kind of figure out what I'm going to get into. Um, it is a uh, it is a weekend. We're approaching the end of the uh, the the end of July as we head into August. So we'll see what's on my mind uh, uh, just after this break, whatever. But the lesson of this break is what? Right? It's simple. Everybody in your family, including you could write a book about somebody in your family and say things that are not complimentary, that are true and untrue. Anyone can do it. But your last name is not Trump. All right. With that, I'm Jeremy Lee. This is Mojo 5 Radio. Quick break. Right back. The interview by saying you are in pretty rare air. You had written something about the president that is certainly uh, critical in certain aspects, and he hadn't said anything back. That just changed moments ago. Uh, he lumped you in with John Bolton, referring to what he calls the Book of the Month Club. He called John <laughs> Bolton a lowlife and a dummy. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> She's all screwed up. She's crazy. She's nuts. Nuts. What a screwball. Look at the month club, bitch. Very unsuccessful person. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them. And I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org. m25m.org. There are foods that are known to be aphrodisiacs. On Spoonie Radio. Watermelon is an aphrodisiac. A luscious fruit to eat to your lover. 7 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern. Pomegranate is known as the love apple and stimulates your no-no square. And whenever you're ready on Spreaker.com. 
Attention timeshare owners. This is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contract. Our experienced partners are offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. You'll never pay another timeshare maintenance bill again, and all your obligations will be terminated. You can begin saving today. Even if you've tried another company to get rid of your timeshare, call and see if we can help you. At the Timeshare Exit Hotline, we only accept payment after an agreement has been made to get you out of your timeshare. Make this complimentary free call and learn how our honest partners can help anyone, anywhere legally get out of their timeshare nightmare. 800-741-9557. 800-741-9557-800-741-9557. That's 800-741-9557. You know what makes you feel really good about yourself? Doing something good for somebody else. If you'd like to do that today, go to JDRF.org. Join them in the fight against type 1 diabetes. JDRF.org. It's something good you can do for the world. JDRF.org. Welcome back to Standing Ground with Jeremy Leahy here on Mojo 5 Radio. Am I still on the air? <laughs> Has Al Sharpton called uh, Ron Phillips at Mojo yet? First of all, you gotta get him off the air. Uh, no apologies, sorry. Um, I, I want to elaborate if you don't mind. I, I'd like to expand upon my remarks that I made in the last break to maybe even cause more controversy when I alluded to that there was a lot of people out there that feel that people in the black community, even when they're in the process of committing a crime, the police need to leave alone. Um, and that black lives matter means all, all other lives other than black lives do not. Okay. Well, as, as I often do in this program, as I engage in hypotheticals and hypotheticals, many times can really answer questions. Well, take for instance, Let's look at the Democratic field. Let's look at the, the the candidates out there that are screaming Black Lives Matter. Uh, we could say, well, they're not, I'm saying, they're not, stupid. The former candidates or whatever, or people on the left in general, let's just say uh, Camilla Harris, who's possible VP, but uh, Elizabeth Warren, unlikely. But say, for instance, Cory Booker, any, any of the people on the left that are all Black Lives Matter. And say, for instance, well, for the purpose of discussion, we'll just take uh, Elizabeth Warren as an example, right? Well, say, for instance, one evening, and by the way, I'm using Elizabeth Warren as an example, but it could be somebody in your life that's big time Black Lives Matter. Okay, well, here's my hypothetical, right? I get a, I get a call from Elizabeth Warren, and she says to me, um, you know, in her annoying voice, Jeremy, I heard your program, and what you said was so offensive and hurtful. But you know, I'd like to take you out to, with her head shake. I'd like to take you out to dinner and talk about it. That's my Elizabeth Warren. Okay, so I say, okay, uh, Pocahontas, where do you want to go? Where, where? Let's go to Cambridge. Maybe have you over dinner, or take me out to a restaurant where you, you know, can we can have pow chow and talk about your days on the reservation, whatever. So we go out and we hang out. We're going out to dinner, right? And then she pulls this thing with me. She says, your comments about letting black people do whatever, that's just ridiculous. Da, 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 da. Okay, fine. 
and I and I get an earful from uh, from Pocahontas. Well, then you see what happens is we leave the restaurant, and as we're leaving the restaurant, we're walking down the street, and there's this. Well, it could be any car, but maybe for the let, let's let's spice it up a little bit in the hypo. Is say it's a really nice, flashy Mercedes, and I look over my shoulder as. I'm walking Elizabeth back to her multi-million dollar mansion. And sorry, I got to get every lowest common denominator, right? And I look over my shoulder and I notice that this beautiful Mercedes that's in the street, there are two young black youths that are attempting to break in to the car. Either to steal it or steal what's in it, I don't know. I grab my phone and say to Pocahontas, I'm calling the Cambridge police. There's a there's, there's two kids are trying to break into a car. What is Elizabeth Warren, as an example, or any other big liberal Black Lives Matter individual going to most likely do in that situation? Take a guess. They're going to grab the phone from my hand or your hand and say what? Don't do that. We'll leave it at that. Okay? Anyway, that is that is the it's, it's all I can say and I think that that hypothetical pretty much says it all. Okay. Moving on. Uh, the the president held a press let's let's carry some of this anyway and then when we come back uh i do want to say a few words about my old friend and colleague from my days at wtkk the iconic jay severin who passed away last week yeah too young at 69 um after a long a long illness passed away i uh i do want to say a few words um about my time with him and, and how much fun we had and all that um so why don't we do this? Let's go and play some of the uh, press conference of, uh, of, of President Trump, and then I'll come back on. Okay. Very much, everybody. Please. Hope it's not too hot, but it's pretty warm. You bunch of a-holes. Thank you. Babies. So we've had a big day in the stock market. Things are coming back, and they're coming back very rapidly, a lot sooner than people thought. People are feeling good about our country. People are feeling good about uh, therapeutics and possible vaccines. But we're going to go over quite a bit, and maybe at the end we'll take some questions if we have time. It's not too hot. Today I signed legislation and an executive order to hold China accountable for its oppressive actions against the people of Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Autonomy Act which I signed this afternoon, passed unanimously through Congress. This law gives my administration powerful new tools to hold responsible the individuals and the entities involved in extinguishing Hong Kong's freedom. We've all watched what happened. Not a good situation. Their freedom's been taken away, their rights have been taken away, and with it goes Hong Kong, in my opinion, because it will no longer be able to compete with free markets. A lot of people will be leaving Hong Kong, I suspect. And we're going to do a lot more business because of it, because we just lost one competitor. It's the way it is. We lost a very, very serious competitor. 
competitor that we incentivize to take a lot of business and do well. And uh, we gave them a lot of business by doing what we did. We gave them things that nobody else had the right to do. And that gave them a big edge over other markets. And because of that edge, uh, they've done really historic business, tremendous business, far bigger than anybody would have thought years ago when we did this uh, gift. We, it was really a gift to freedom. Today, I also signed an executive order ending U.S. preferential treatment for Hong Kong. Hong Kong will now be treated the same as mainland China. No special privileges, no special economic treatment, and no export of sensitive technologies. In addition to that, as you know, we're placing massive tariffs and have placed very large tariffs on China. First time that's ever happened to China. Billions of dollars have been paid to the United States, of which I've given quite a bit to the farmers and ranchers of our country because they were targeted. And that's been going on for three years. First time anybody's ever done anything like that. And prior to the plague pouring in, from China. They were having the worst years, you know, in 67 years. And I don't want them to have a bad year. I want them to have a good year. But they were taking advantage of the United States for many, many years. And that's uh, stopping. But then the, then the virus came in and uh, the world is a different place. But we're now getting back. And one of the reasons the market's doing so, it's almost at the point that it was at prior to the plague. Almost. We're getting very close. It's a great thing. It's an amazing thing what our people have done and what they've endured. No administration has been tougher on China than this administration. We imposed historic tariffs. We stood up to China's intellectual property theft at a level that nobody's ever come close. We confronted untrustworthy Chinese technology and telecom providers. We convinced many countries, many countries, and I did this myself, for the most part, not to use Huawei because we think it's an unsafe security risk. It's a big security risk. I talked many countries out of using it. If they want to do business with us, they can't use it. Just today, I believe that UK announced that uh, they're not going to be using it. And that was up in the air for a long time, but they've decided. And you look at Italy, you look at many other countries. We withdrew from the Chinese-dominated WHO, and we fully rebuilt the United States military, the WHO, World Health Organization. Uh, we were paying close to $500 million a year. China was paying $39 million a year. And uh, China had too much say. They worked it very hard, which is a Bad thing done by our past administrations, but we were tough and we were saying, I was asking, I said, why are we paying so much more than China? China has 1.4 billion people. We have 325, probably 325 million approximately. Nobody can give the exact count. We're trying to get an exact count, but you have over the years many illegals who have come into the country. So it depends on how you want to count it. But you could say 325 to 350 million people as opposed to 1.4 billion people. And the world, tra world trade is terrible. That deal is terrible. The world health is a terrible deal. 
We've been very tough on the World Trade Organization, and we've been, uh, I guess, as tough as you can get on world health. We withdrew our money. We told them we're getting out. Doesn't mean that someday we won't go back in. Maybe we will when it's correctly run. But they made a lot of bad predictions, and they said a lot of bad things about what to do and how to do it, and they turned out to be wrong. And they were really a puppet of China. And make no mistake, we hold China fully responsible for concealing the virus and unleashing it upon the world. They could have stopped it. They should have stopped it. Would have been very easy to do at the source when it happened. In contrast, Joe Biden's entire career has been a gift to the Chinese Communist Party and to the calamity of, of errors that they've made. They made so many errors, and it's been devastating for the American worker. China has taken out hundreds of billions of dollars a year from our country, and we rebuilt China. I give them all the credit in the world. I don't give the credit for the people that used to stand here because they allowed this to happen where hundreds of billions of dollars were taken out of the United States Treasury in order to rebuild China. There's no company and no country in the world, no country in the world has ever ripped off the United States like the incredible job that they did on this country and the people that ran it. Possibly it's one of the reasons, certainly it's one of the very big reasons, trade and things related to trade that I got elected in the first place. I've been talking about it for a long time, along with many other subjects, frankly. Joe Biden supported China's entry into the World Trade Organization, one of the greatest geopolitical and economic disasters in world history. Uh, if you look at China, you look at the moment they joined the World Trade, they were flatlining for years and years and years and decades. And then all of a sudden, they joined the World Trade Organization, and they went like a rocket ship. They were given all sorts of advantages. They were considered a developing country. As a developing country, they got tremendous advantages over the United States and other countries. And they took advantage of those advantages and, and then some. Biden personally led the effort to give China permanent most favored nation status, which is a tremendous advantage for a country to have. Few countries have it, but the United States doesn't have it. Never did, probably never even asked for it because they didn't know what they were doing. As Vice President Biden was a leading advocate of the Paris Climate Accord, which was unbelievably expensive to our country, would have crushed American manufacturers while allowing China to pollute, pollute the atmosphere with impunity. Yet one more gift from Biden to the Chinese Communist Party. They took all of the advantage away from us. They took everything away. They don't have oil. We would have had to close up uh, tremendous amounts of our energy to qualify eventually, not too far into the future. We would have had to do things that would have been unbelievably destructive to our country, including the possible closing of 25% of our businesses. Think of that. And it was going to cost us hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for the privilege of being involved in the Paris Climate Accord. And you just have to look at what took place this year in 
Paris and France, where money was being sent to countries all over the world, and the people of France didn't want to take it, and they didn't, and they did a lot of rioting. They had their taxes raised. We would have had to raise our taxes. And it was a disaster. I've been given a lot of credit for what I did there. It took a certain amount of courage, I guess, because it sounds so nice, the Paris Climate Accord. But it wasn't good for us at all. America lost nearly 10,000 factories while Joe Biden was vice president. Think of that, 10,000 factories. He wrote something today, and he made a statement today that I wrote down, pretty accurate. So Biden was here for 47 years, eight years, the last eight years, not long ago, as vice president, he said, one in five miles of our highways are still in poor condition. Well, we're doing a good job on highways, but why didn't he fix them three years ago? Why didn't he fix them? Tens of thousands of bridges are in disrepair and on the verge of collapse. Well, it's probably not a right number, but we have bridges that should have been fixed. Why didn't he fix them? He was there for eight years with President Obama. Why didn't they fix them? Tens of thousands of bridges. This is what he wrote. High-speed broadband. We want high-speed broadband. Well, why didn't he get it? Three years ago is not a long time. And uh, he didn't do any of the things. But now he says he's going to be president. As president, he's going to do all the things that he didn't do. He never did. Never did anything except make very bad decisions, especially on foreign policy. So Joe Biden and President Obama freely allowed China to pillage our factories, plunder our communities, and steal our most precious secrets. And I've stopped it largely, but I've stopped it. And it wasn't easy because you talk about a certain power of the telephone and the calls where they would call and say, no, we don't want to do that. And other countries would call on behalf of China, but I did it. I did what has to be done. And you just take a look at what's gone on and take a look at the kind of, at the numbers where they devalued their currency in order to pay the tariffs. Now the Democrat Party is calling for defunding of our military. Think of that, defunding. They want to defund our military when China is building a massive military. They're building a massive military, and Biden wants to defund our military. And the world needs American strength right now more than ever, and we've got it. We've, we've got now, soon, as it, all this equipment comes in, all made in the USA, we've got the newest, most incredible weapons anywhere in the world. We have the best tanks, the best ships, the best missiles, rockets. We have the best of everything. We have the best fighter jets, the F-35, the F-18. All of these assets are being built. Tankers, incredible tankers, bombers. Hope we don't have to use them, but we have the most incredible military. When I came in, the military was totally depleted. It was, it was at a level that was just absolutely incredible. You know the statements. I made the statements before I told you what generals told me about our military. And I'll make them again. If somebody needs them, we'll give them to you. Very well documented. As Vice President, Biden opposed tariffs 
And he was standing up for China. He didn't want to do anything to disrupt the relationship with China, even though China was taking us to the cleaners. He opposed my very strict hey, travel ban on racist. Chinese nationals <laughs> to stop the spread laundry, of the come on, China, China come virus. On. That was, come he was on. totally against it. Xenophobic, he called me. Xenophobic. Yeah. A month later, he admitted I was right. We would have had yeah, he saw the thousands numbers. of people additionally die if we let people come in from heavily infected China. But we stopped it. We did a travel ban in January. Nancy Pelosi was dancing in the streets of Chinatown in San Francisco a month later, and even later than that. And others, too. They all thought what I did was a terrible mistake. We would have lost. In fact, Dr. Fauci said he would have lost thousands of additional people if President Trump had to do that. And I was a crowd of one because even experts didn't want to do it. They thought it was a mistake. And then I did Europe when I started seeing what was going on in Italy and Spain and France and other countries in Europe. I did a ban on people coming in from Europe. That would have been disastrous for our country also. And we saved tens of thousands of lives, but we actually saved millions of lives by closing. By closing up, we saved millions, potentially millions of lives. Could be a number that we're actually working on, but it could be two to three million lives. So we're at 135,000, which is terrible. One is too much. But we would have had millions of people dead from this curse that came at us. But we did what we had to do, and now we'll put out the flames as it as it happens. We have to get the schools open. We have to get everything open. A lot of people don't want to do that for political reasons, not for other reasons. But if we had listened to Joe Biden, hundreds of thousands of additional lives would have been lost. And if you look at the job he did on swine flu, I looked at a poll. They have polls on everything nowadays. And uh, he, they got very bad marks on the job they did on the swine flu. H1N1. He calls it N1H1. H1N1. <laughs> got very poor marks <laughs> from Gallup. The on H the job they did on swine flu. The, the, uh, the and they stopped there, and it, it, very early on the testing. They totally stopped it. They just said stop. And frankly, if we didn't test, you wouldn't have all the headlines because we're showing cases. And we have just about the lowest mortality rate. But if we did, think of this, if we didn't do testing, instead of testing over 40 million people, if we did half the testing, we'd have half the cases. If we did another, you cut that in half, we'd have yet again half of that. But the headlines are always testing. Now, the testing is a good thing, but at the same time, it's, it's fodder for the fake news to report cases. So we're doing 40 million plus, going to be very close to 45 million people. And when I turn on the news, I see cases, cases, cases. They don't talk about deaths being cut down to a level that actually tenfold they use. I got that from one of the very respected media outlets tenfold, cut tenfold deaths, but they don't talk about that. Uh, they talk about cases, and the cases are created because of the fact that we do tremendous testing. We have the best testing in the world. We now make ventilators for the world. We had very few ventilators. There wasn't one person in any hospital anywhere in this country that needed a ventilator that didn't get it. 
All right. And that was because we mobilized to a level using the Purchasing Act in some... Okay, uh, no great surprises there. Uh, tooting his own horn, as usual, um, which I expect nothing else from, from, from our president, of course, taking his political digs, which we might pick that apart more a little bit uh, on Saturday evening's program. Okay, quickly, uh, last but certainly not least. Uh, those of you who follow radio, our radio junkies, wherever you are, um, I would think, and I uh, know positively, you would know the name Jay Severin. Uh, Jay Severin passed away just this past week at the uh, young age of 69. I uh, did not really know of Jay Severin until I met him in or around the year 2000 when I left American Radio to go work over at uh, Greater Media, WTKK, which became a t- was a talk station, used to be jazz. And, of course, naturally, uh, programming there was – it was a new station and they were tweaking it and they were bringing in, trying out new people. And we consisted of three producers, three executive producers, myself and two others, uh, Jimmy and Greg, if they're listening. And we ruled the roost. Uh, Jay came in and immediately when Jay Severin came in, his show took off. He was energetic, he was bright, articulate, well-informed, quick on the draw, and he had been through many producers, whatever, and then at one point a slot opened up, and I had been talking to him (laughs) off the record, (laughs) but not anymore, (laughs) and he laughed at this, okay, and anyway, in or around 2000, in that area, Oh, sorry, 2001. It was in that era. I don't have exact dates. I became Jay's executive producer. Uh, he would call me Doc, Dr. Leahy, on or off the air. He would do that. And I have to tell you, it was about a three-year period of when, when, when I was there and then he went on and he became syndicated and then I went over to CBS radio. And I, I, I mean, I don't have the time to go through Jay's entire um, resume, as impressive as it was. I mean, he worked on political campaigns. He had his own consulting firm, whatever. But anyway, with three, three years, in that, in that three-year time span of working with him, knowing him and being around him, it was nothing really less than fun. Um, it was, you know, producers and talent have interesting relationships. And, you know... Of course. I mean, people ask me, you know, did you guys ever have disagreements? Well, of course. I mean, that, that that's just that's just par for the course. It goes, it, it, it's what happens in the business. But he was so much fun to be around. And he was, you know, whether he was on the air or off the air, I always we always enjoyed exchanging funny stories about life and family and a, a lot of our relationship was believe it or not really we was the show you know he caught the great thing is too i, I gotta get this in there the great thing working with jay Severin as a producer was i would turn his microphone on and it was cruise control and he he would just he would go for an hour without taking a phone call i mean i i don't know how he well he did it he did it but it was really 
really something quite remarkable to witness and be part of. And I'll say it, and, and I think he'd be okay with this. He, he was not without controversy, no doubt about it. If you go out and you read the obituary, and I, <laughs> my opinion's always been, you can't really be a good talk show host unless you get suspended at least once <laughs> or fired at least once, which Jay, uh, well, he was. I mean, he, he was not without – but a lot of times when he would say things and he would get called out by the press, he would come right back and he would very quickly say, that's not what I said. And he was very good at, you know, reaming them a new one. Uh, he was not particularly liked by a lot of people in, in the in the press, especially the, the liberal media in Boston. But he knew how to stick it to them. And uh, that's what I enjoyed the most. But last but not least, I want to say this. I learned so much from him. I learned a lot of things about government, politics, law, constitution, and believe it or not, radio was actually one of the smaller end of things. He taught me more, so many other things, than we, we'd have conversations sometimes, and he would get on me about, off the air, obviously. You know, he'd say to me, you need to slow down, you need to speak a little clearer, da-da-da-da, which obviously I've taken with me as I've, I've been here because he was the master at it. So I just wanted to say a few words. I don't want to go on t- too long because I'll start to blubber. Uh, but anyway, uh, I will always be grateful to him, as many of his listeners are, to his enduring brand of genius, um, a man who loved radio and was damn good at it. So with that, uh, Jay Severin, um, God bless, rest in peace, and I will uh, I will see you in the studio um, on the other side. Okay, Town Hall News is up next. I will be back Saturday night at 10. <laughs> This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five O. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.